Good morning. Welcome to Preston Hollow Presbyterian Church to our 11 a.m. hour of worship. It is a joy to be in worship with all of you this morning. I want to especially welcome those who are joining us through our live streaming service, as well as those who are tuning in through WRR. And if you're visiting with us today, please feel welcome to this church. And I want to invite you to join us for fellowship in the atrium after worship this morning. If you will, will make your way to the atrium counter, there are members who are eager to meet you and welcome, welcome you and share with you more about our membership and ministry here at Preston Hollow. And they have a special treat to share with you, to take home with you today. For all of you who are here in our pews, if you haven't done so already, at the end of your pews, there are friendship registry pads. Please take those, note your attendance, use those to learn the names of those around you, so we can continue to grow as a family of faith. In your pews in front of you, you'll find a two-sided card. On one side, it's a connection card. This is a place where you can let us know how you want to join more deeply in the life of this faith community. Let us know how you want to connect, whether it is a Bible study or a place of service. On the other side, it's a prayer card. As one of your pastors, it is a privilege and an honor to pray with and for you throughout this week. So if you have a prayer of joy or a prayer of concern for yourself or someone you know and love, please use those cards and share those with us by putting those in the offering plates as they come through later in the service. In the back of your bulletin, you'll find several announcements, and this morning I want to highlight just two. Next Sunday, we have a special guest visitors who are coming to Preston Hollow. Charles and Melissa Johnson are mission co-workers, which is our updated term for missionaries. They serve our sister church in Zambia, but they are born and bred in Texas and have come back to share with us their ministry with the church in Central Africa, the ways that they're helping to develop the local community through food security and public health. You're invited to Jubilee Hall at 930 to learn about their ministry and how we can continue to pray and encourage them in their work in ministry. The other announcement is that it's hard to believe that we're thinking about January, but January is when our college students go off to Montreat for their college conference together. It is a wonderful time of nourishment and fellowship uh, for all of our college students. So if you have a college student in your family or you know somebody, um, this is the time to register that they need to register by the end of this month to get their uh, accommodations booked. So please encourage your college students to attend Montreat College Conference this January. Friends, this morning we're continuing our sermon series and we're exploring the question together, why study? You may or may not know this, but Presbyterians have a high value of education, that there are nearly 70 Presbyterian-affiliated colleges in the U.S. And Presbyterians are in the top 20% for the most educated religious groups in the U.S. So you can pat yourself on the back for being sparty pants. So this morning, we're gonna explore why it is that we study. Not only do we study, but we study our sacred scripture. And we study in community. And that study shapes our worship and our life together here in this place and out in this world. So friends, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it let us worship holy God.
Friends, please join me in our responsive call to worship. We gather together in the name of Jesus Christ, members of God's family and siblings to one another. There are no outsiders here among us. No one has any special standing. We are all children of God, brought together by the redeeming love of Christ. Praise the Lord. The Lord's name be praised. My colleagues told me recently that the church that they interned at when they were in seminary listed the prayer of confession as a moment of truth-telling. I love that description. I love that description of this prayer because in the confession we are raw and honest about our sin. We're raw and honest about our doubt and wondering. In confession we tell our whole truth to God. There's no hiding, no boundaries, just honesty. So friends, let us come to God to tell the truth about ourselves, about our lives and the world. Please join me in our prayer of confession. God of our lives, we confess we are afraid to suffer. When deep cries out to deep, we prefer to remain in the shallows. We would rather pursue life liberty and happiness 
Yet all around us lies disappointment, plans destroyed and dreams deferred. As we study your ways and your word, remind us that when we lose our lives, we find life in you, freedom in your light, and happiness in your ever-redeeming love. Help us to lean into your love when times are hard. Pour into us your love, that we might have the courage to more deeply love one another. Grant us hope to have in Christ that will not disappoint. Amen. Friends, hear and believe the good news of the gospel. We are saved by grace through faith. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Amen. As a forgiven people, let us share the peace of Christ with one another. The peace of Christ be with you. be seated. Let us pray. God of grace, scripture tells us that when we pray, spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words, helping us to see you in our moments of greatest need. So today, as we turn towards scripture, we ask once again that you might intercede with sighs too deep for words. Pour out a double portion of your spirit on this room so that every heart might catch a glimpse of your love and hope for this world. For we are listening, O Lord. We are waiting. We are here for you. Amen. Good morning. morning. I want to offer a second word of welcome to you. And if you are indeed a visitor in our midst, we are delighted that you are with us in worship this morning. We do welcome you on a Texas OU weekend. I don't know whether you are here this morning with prayers of lament or prayers of joy. But either way, we are glad that you are here. As Kathy mentioned at the start of our service, we are continuing our fall sermon series, Why Church? by exploring the question, why study? Specifically, we are going to reflect on the Bible's role in answering that question. There are so many wonderful books and theological works to engage. And, as Christians, we also claim that the Holy Spirit breathes through the works of Scripture in a unique and special way. Several weeks ago, I mentioned to member Ron Gordon that I was preaching on studying Scripture, and he reminded me of a terrific story about the Bible and comedian W.C. Fields. If you knew Fields, you know that he was quite the personality. His comic persona was grumpy, to say the least. Among other things, he was known for disliking children and dogs. That was just the start of the list. He generally led an unrestrained life in showbiz, drinking too much and carrying on with all kinds of mistresses. 
One evening after his show, Fields retired to his hotel room and a friend, Thomas Mitchell, stopped by to see him. When Mitchell walked into the room, he was floored to see that Fields was sitting on the bed reading the Bible. And he said, what are you doing? To which Fields replied, I'm looking for loopholes, my friend, just looking for loopholes. <laughs> I hope that our time together this morning will provide more insight into the Bible than that. We are going to reflect together not only generally why study, but what are we called to do with the stories of Scripture? If when we study them, we aren't in fact looking for loopholes, why should we study them? What are we being called to do with them? And sort of the so what part of studying. As if your friend has told you a really terrific story and you say, well, that's great, but why does it matter? Why is it important that studying the stories of the Bible has an impact on our lives? So we're going to explore that this morning through a passage from the Gospel of Matthew. So listen now for a word from Matthew chapter 16. Now, when Jesus came to the area of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Then Jesus replied, happy are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because no human has shown this to you. Rather, my father in heaven has shown you this. I tell you, you are Peter, and I'll build my church on this rock. The gates of the underworld won't be able to stand against it. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. Anything you fasten on earth will be fastened in heaven, and anything you loosen on earth will be loosed in heaven. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Start us, O God, with your truth, and open our minds to your word. Give us the courage to think deeply and to make loving and courageous decisions in all the challenges and perplexity of our lives. Remind us again this day that at the heart of all of it is you and your love revealed in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In the late 1990s and the early 2000s, ABC ran a TV show hosted by Drew Carey called Whose Line Is It Anyway? Perhaps you watched it or remembered it. Based on a British TV show of the same name, the series consisted of four performers who were given prompts or stories about different scenes and characters. And in, in front of a live audience, they were to act them out improv style. The topics for the prompts were based either on audience suggestion, which as a preacher is just absolutely terrifying. I can imagine if we decided to run our sermons that way, things would go a little differently. Either actors were taking suggestions from the audience or they got premeditated ideas from the host. Some of the scenarios would go like this. You're at a college fraternity party and every one of you has a different form of social awkwardness. Act it out. Or one member of your married household has just finished painting the entire apartment and the other person comes home and hates it. Act it out. Two people are on the train without tickets. Here comes the ticket collector. Act it out. Or my all-time favorite, you've just arrived at a dinner party and no one is wearing pants. Act it out. <laughs> As you can imagine, the skits that these improv actors came up with were creative, at times they were poignant, and they were almost always hilarious. What I love about improv games is that they invite players to take an original scenario, and in the context of other people, in the context of community, 
allow for a brand new story to unfold on the stage. I think this is exactly the invitation that studying the Bible offers us. That we are to take the stories and the pages of scripture, to study them and know them and wrestle with them, and then live them out in our world today. We see how this scene gets played out in our passage from the Gospel of Matthew this morning. Jesus has been teaching and preaching all over the area around the Galilee, and everywhere he goes, he is always wrestling with the scriptures. He's arguing with them, he's reinterpreting them, he's embodying them with his life and with his ministry. Eventually, he will do so with his death and his resurrection. And at this particular moment in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus turns to his disciples and says in so many words, well, you've watched me do it. You've watched me study and wrestle and embody the scriptures. Now it's your turn. Act it out. The exact contours of this invitation are directed at Peter. In fact, Jesus says, I tell you that you are Peter and I'll build my church on this rock. It's a well-known line of scripture. If you dig into the Greek here, you'll find that Jesus is being funny. He's being clever. The Greek word for Peter is Petros or rock. So on this rock, Peter, I will build my church. And scholars have made a big deal about the specifics of this invitation that Jesus gives to Peter. Our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters hear this as Jesus' invitation to one person, in this case, the Pope. A specific invitation for the Pope to lead and guide God's church. But other traditions, including ours, have interpreted it differently and understand it as an invitation for all Christians to lead and to embody Jesus' ministry with our lives. Jesus invites all of us to be the church. The really interesting thing is that Matthew uses a very unusual word for the word church. He uses the word ecclesia, which is not used very often, and it means literally the called out ones. In other words, Jesus says, I will build my church, my body on earth, through you, the called out ones. Jesus is inviting us to faithfully study the scriptures, such that our lives might be lived as those that are called out. What does that mean exactly? Jesus doesn't mean that there are some of us who are his personal favorite, or that there's a particular group of chosen people. What Jesus means is that he's inviting us not just to be something, but to do something. To take the ancient stories of our faith and study them and wrestle with them, question them, discern the spirit of God in them, and then live them out in our lives and the world. Theologian Rob Bell has a terrific book, What is the Bible? If you haven't read it, I would commend it to you. And he writes about this invitation that Jesus offers us this way. He says, figure out what the scriptures meant in the ancient world, and then put flesh and blood on it, in your place, at your time, in your city, in your community, in your world. Preacher Lillian Daniel puts it this way. She says, as people of the world throughout Christian history, we've helped one another discover a new word and a new life in a very old book. I think reading and studying the Bible is an invitation to a game of theological improv, to take the original story that we've been given, to wrestle with it with others, and then to live out a new story on the stage of life. It might go something like this. A man is lying in a ditch on the side of the road and you are driving by on your way to work. Act it out. The world is hungry and you only have one loaf and two fish. Act it out. Your parents welcomed home your wayward sibling and you're supposed to be very happy about it. 
act it out. The storms of life are rocking your boat, and you are desperate for calm waters. Act it out. You want to know how to live as faithfully as possible. And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Act it out. We are continually invited to take these ancient texts and to allow them to teach us anew the shape of God's grace today, here, and now. Sam Wells, who was a favorite professor of mine, always said, remember, the Bible is not a script. It's a training school for the way that we live our lives. Sometimes I think that studying scripture and receiving this invitation from Jesus to study and to live the scriptures in our lives can be stifled by one of two things. I think on the one hand, sometimes it's tempting to want to read the stories of scripture literally, as if they are a history book or a science book or a manual for how we might live our lives. The problem with this is that if you, if you read this way, you really aren't going to get very far. You run into a lot of technical difficulties very quickly, like how exactly the world was created in seven days, how an ark that large would possibly be built, and where the heck is it, or why the Apostle Paul seems so keen on keeping women from wearing earrings in church. That's in the Bible. <laughs> You can't read scripture that way. You can't read scripture the same way that you would read the directions for putting together your coffee table from Ikea. <laughs> and so I think often the temptation for us as Reformed Presbyterians is to say, that makes sense to me. I don't read the scriptures literally. And so we swing the pendulum entirely the other way. And we decide that while the Bible is an interesting book that has some neat and fun stories, that it's really an ancient book whose stories ought to remain in the past. The stories are fun, but they can't really relate to our present circumstances. And so in that case, we read and study the stories of the Bible, thinking that while they're interesting and perhaps we might teach them to our children, they really don't have anything to do with us or they very likely can't answer the questions of the complexity of our lives in the postmodern world. And so we decide that the Bible is just a book, an interesting book with good and interesting stories, but that's it. The truth is that studying scripture is by figuring out both how it is bound by the past and how it's speaking in the present. We know and trust that the stories in scripture are about actual people in actual times and places who use the language and knowledge of their time and who also were bound by the biases of their time. So when we study, we take care to understand which parts of the story are bound by that past, while also believing that there is truth that we need to draw into the present. It's a way of saying you have to take the history and the literary context in which scripture is written seriously. And discern what mattered then and what still matters now. Scriptures are bound by the past and they are truth speaking in the present. It's not either or, it's both and. Think about this for a minute with me about the creation poems in Genesis. At first blush, the writings of Genesis seem like they're about the past. In fact, Genesis literally means beginning. Genesis is a story about our beginnings, which sounds to me a lot like the past. But if you get together with a group of other people and you begin to dive into the scriptures and study them and wrestle with them, you would learn that the history and the genre and the context tell us that Genesis was written by the Hebrew people during the Babylonian exile. And so while they're in exile, they're wondering who they are and to whom they belong. And they write a creation myth. Therefore, Genesis isn't really a story about our past. It's a story about the past that's written, that speaks very deeply to the present. 
In Genesis, we'll find universal truths about who God is, about how we are in relationship with God and with one another, and what, in fact, we're doing here. Let's act it out for a minute. The narratives in Genesis tell us that we're created by God. In fact, the poem says that all of creation is in relationship with God the Creator. There's nothing in our world that is outside of God's creation. And what's more is that all of that creation is declared good. All of creation is anointed with God-given goodness. We are good as is. Good is all people's very nature and God-given worth. Not just some of us, but all of us. Now, I don't know about you, but I think a word that says all people are created in the image of God and included in the goodness of God's creation is a story that was written in the past that plays out very importantly in the present. What deeply good news that would be to share. One of my favorite professors always said, remember, scripture is not giving us a last word but a living word. Which is also to say, if we think the stories of scripture are relics of another age, we just aren't reading very carefully. Think about Exodus. Moses is angry at the people that be, are being faithful to other gods, gods of money and power and influence and politics and looks. I, I've never heard of that happening anywhere, but perhaps it happened in this one case. In the prophets, Daniel is called to serve in the government of an administration he doesn't like nor agree with, and yet he has to figure out how to be faithful to God. I've certainly never heard of anything like that happening. In the New Testament, a pregnant Mary and Joseph find themselves fleeing violence and seeking asylum in a new home, a place that will take them in so that Mary can have her baby. Perhaps you've heard a story like that. Of course, all of these stories, straight from scripture, sound like they could be taken from the headlines of today. No, they do not provide us an exact outline for how we will solve the challenges and complexities before us. But I do believe that studying them will provide us a good word for today, that it will develop within us a generous and grace-filled biblical imagination a sure guide in the midst of many of today's present circumstances. Studying scripture renews our theological imagination. We are provided the opportunity again and again to learn who God is, who we are as God's children, and who we are as neighbors to one another, not just in the past, but in today. I was reminded what internalizing the scriptures and living them out looks like through a family of two of my dearest friends from seminary. Together they have two young daughters, Clarilyn and Junia, who are four and two. Only two pastors would name one of their children Junia. Junia, in case you need reminding, is one of the biblical women in the Acts of Paul. You can look her up after church. When the girls were born, Carmen and Clark chose specific scripture passages that they would read with each of their children every night for before bed. For Junia, they chose words from Proverbs, and for Clarilyn, they selected the 23rd Psalm. So each night, they say their prayers together and read these scripture passages with their girls. Recently, the family took a trip to see some of Clark's relatives in Florida, including Clark's Uncle Bill. Uncle Bill is a lifelong Presbyterian. He's a former Christian missionary, and he's in his late 90s. Uncle Bill is a wonderful person, a deeply faithful human, and therefore sort of a hero in Clark's family. Clark always expresses how deeply grateful he is that his girls at four and two have had an opportunity to get to know Uncle Bill and to spend some time with him. And so Carmen and Clark are there with their girls at that Uncle Bill's house, 
And they're talking, and Clark kind of observes out of the corner of his eye that Clarilyn is beginning to move out of her, of her parents' sort of um, reach of influence, which if you are a parent is um, anxiety producing. And she begins to walk over to Uncle Bill, who is sitting by himself in his wheelchair. And again, at first, Clark is, is a little concerned. Clarilyn is four. She has a lot of energy, and she can be loving and a little rambunctious at the same time. And Uncle Bill is older, and so Clark is always reminding Clarilyn, we have to be very gentle with older people. Clark notices that Clarilyn is not, in fact, jumping or dancing or moving quickly. Instead, she is moving very slowly and with great care. And Clark is astonished because he sees Clarilyn gently pick up Uncle Bill's hands and she places them in hers. And very softly, Clarilyn begins to sing the words of the 23rd Psalm. And Clark listens, absolutely shocked. And the more he listens, he begins to realize that she is singing the words of the 23rd Psalm, but they're not all quite right. Instead, Clarilyn is singing the ancient words of the Psalm of David that she has intermixed with new words and a melody that she has completely made up. I believe that Clarilyn has been so immersed in the words of scripture that she has begun to live them out in her life. That she used her imagination to draw on the words of the past, to bear witness to God's grace in the present. Friends, I think that is the task before each one of us that we might study and draw on the words of the past to bear witness to God's grace in the present. I believe that the stakes are actually incredibly high these days for studying the words of scripture. As a world, we are facing complexities that seem beyond our imagining to solve. We're often divided partisanly, politically. And yet I wonder if the words and imagination of scripture might offer our people of faith a way forward. I also know that one of my greatest fears for our society is that we are caught in a world in which we do a lot and we feel a lot, but we actually think very little. Our lives are busting at the seams with information, political sound bites, technology that's at our fingertips. And I worry if we don't take the time to intentionally think and study that we are in the danger of doing lots of things with lots of energy. But we will never serve what matters most. If you are like me, perhaps your life or your week is on the cusp of another wave of busyness. Maybe this morning you are a parent whose child has a two-packed life with soccer practices and play dates, and standardized tests and teacher meetings. Maybe in mid-October you have already started to make the mental shift toward the holidays. I did see Christmas candy in Tom Thumb yesterday. <laughs> the holidays for so many of us fun and joyful, but they can also bring loneliness and an overwhelmed sense of life where we run around here and there doing all kinds of things but never paying attention. I find that to be true often about the contour of my own life, that I pass through the day or through the week without paying enough attention, without setting aside the time to think, to study, and simply one day bleeds into the next. In the midst of these fears, my greatest hope is that I think you and I show up here 
because we want to make a difference in the world, that we want to learn about our faith and to live what it means to be Christian every single day. And I think studying the stories of scripture helps us do that in the most basic of ways. To see afresh where and how God of grace and God of our lives might be up to something still. So this is my offer. Whether you have studied the Bible for a long time, whether you have never opened it, or whether it has been a while, consider yourself invited. You are invited to take your Bible and to study it in community with other people. Learn the stories of scripture, their history, their context, their literary genre. Listen to them, wrestle with them, ask questions of them, challenge them. Discuss them so often that they become the lenses through which you see the rest of your life. And then take those stories and act them out. Live them out on the stage of your life, in the city, with your neighbors, with the world. Figure out what it looks like for the God of the Bible to have moved into your neighborhood. Because God is among us. Why study? It's one great game of theological improv on the stage of life. Act it out. All thanks be to God. Amen. Family of God, having meditated on God's word, you are invited now to rise in spirit or in body, and let us join together in the affirmation of our faith. Church, what do we believe? We believe that God has entrusted the church with the message of reconciliation in and through Jesus Christ, that the church is called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, that the church is called blessed because it is a peacemaker, that the church is witnessed both by word and by deed to the new heaven and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. We believe that God's life-giving word and spirit has conquered the powers of sin and death, and therefore also of irreconciliation and hatred, bitterness and enmity, that God's life-giving word and spirit will enable the church to live in a new obedience, which can open new possibilities of life for society and the world. be seated. 
As we prepare to pray for ourselves and for the world, I want to recognize that we are holding in prayer this week the family of Chad and Kimberly Callaghan on the passing of Chad's mother, Carol. Also want to invite you to join me in stopping by our care letters after worship just outside of these doors under the window. Let your signature be a prayer for someone in need today. And we have two joys that we want to lift up. That this weekend our senior high youth are at Mo Ranch enjoying a time of celebration and commitment to their faith together. So we pray for their time and their travels. We also have young adult small groups, three of them who have kicked off to study together throughout the rest of this fall and winter season. If you're interested in joining those, please let one of your staff people know, but we pray for them. And we pray for the ways that God is growing the family of this faith. Let us pray. <clears throat> Creator God, we call upon you from deep within our being. You who breathe life into dust and calm the raging seas. And you who fed 5,000 and who taught us how to love. We long to be more like you. That's why we study. That's why we read. We want to love as you loved and live as you lived. But we admit that that's easier said than done. And so we call upon you today, O oh God, God who is our good shepherd, who is with us in green pastures and still waters and leads us through the valley to high places. God who calmed the stormy waters, be with all who find themselves in the storms of life, grieving loss, facing uncertainty. God who created all people in your image, be with any who feel like they are less than. Let your spirit flow into the places where we have built barriers of race and gender. God who fed the multitudes, be present with all who hunger for unmet daily needs. Feed them in body and spirit. Inspire those of us who have daily bread to share it with this world. Draw our attention to those people and places where hunger remains unknown to us. Surround us, O oh God, with your presence here. Fill us with your wisdom. Infuse in us a passion to be your church in this world. And guide our feet, O oh God, as we run this race. Gratefully and humbly, we lift our voices in unison, praying together as your Son taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Today in worship, we have been reminded how powerful study can be, that this world needs it, and we are changed by it. And so it feels right and good in response that we support some of the most vulnerable students in their educational pursuits. This morning during our offering, we have the opportunity to support a student in need by donating a single dollar bill. Our Every Dollar Counts offering throughout this month will be used to create care packages for graduates of Presbyterian Children's Homes and Services. These graduates are young people who have graduated from the foster care system and are courageously pursuing a college degree in the face of statistics that say only 3% of them will graduate. So 
help us to change this narrative. Help us to help them by donating and giving today. Friends, as God has been generous with us, let us be generous in return. Let us give of our morning tithes and offerings.
pray with me? Jesus of Nazareth, we are your students. You taught us to pray. You taught us to consider the lilies of the field and to forgive 70 times seven. You taught us to give away our second coat and to see one another as you see us. You taught us to give, but most importantly, you taught us to love. So take these gifts as a sign of our commitment to you and use them for your good. Gratefully, we pray. Amen. as you go forth from this place, go out with compassion and justice in your hearts. Give voice to the silent, give strength to the weak. Hear one another, see one another, love one another. It's all that easy and it's all that hard. And may the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the communion of the Holy Spirit go with you this day and every day. Go in peace. Amen.